Well, welcome to Church Online, uh, something that we may have to get used to for a couple or few weeks. One desire that it certainly has produced in my own heart is that each of us, as we are separated on Sundays, will have a fresh longing for being back together. May this experience stir in us a love for the church and a desire to be with God's people every single chance we get. Well, here we are, and I'm about to preach to a bunch of people that I cannot see, uh, and that's an unusual experience to be sure. I want you to know, though, that over these past several days and weeks, uh, I and we as your pastors have seen you with our mind's eye uh, and have been praying for you. Uh, in fact, something I've been very aware of over these last several days from several shepherding moments with God's people is that while unusual crises and calamities affect all of us from time to time, everyday crises and everyday calamities affect some of us all of the time. Even without the coronavirus, there are those among us as a congregation who are facing serious health issues daily. We have people who are fighting for faith and joy against great attacks every day of their lives. We are people who are concerned about work, about children, about aging parents. We have people who are in marriage crisis or parenting crisis. In fact, there are people among us for whom the coronavirus is not the number one concern or even the number two concern. It may rank fourth or fifth because in their lives there are crises everywhere. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that God will meet us, that God will meet these who are suffering acutely and all of us as we live in this moment. Uh, of uncertainty. So let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, would you please come? And in these next few minutes, would you please speak to us in ways that go beyond our expectation? Lord God of heaven, by your spirit, open our ears to hear wonderful things from your word. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about this sermon over the last several days, and in thinking about it, I realized that this is a sermon that doesn't really need an introduction. What is already in your mind and on your minds is our introduction. Our minds are already filled. Our minds are already aware. Our minds are already prepared, if you will, to hear God's word. What are we to think? What are we to believe? What are we to do? as this virus surrounds us and seems to threaten us, as this virus makes us much more aware of our own vulnerability and our own mortality than we are normally aware. When it comes to mortality, when it comes to vulnerability, Psalm 90 is a great place to turn. And as we turn to this text of scripture that's just been read in your hearing, these are the thoughts that 
come to my mind based on this text that as our mortality quickly sets in, we must consider carefully, as, as our mortality quickly sets in, we must consider carefully the place we live, the God we trust, the forgiveness we need, the future we envision, the prayers we offer, and the work we do. We're going to look at that statement over these next two or three weeks in the hope and in the prayer that God will speak to us. There should be a little bit of background to Psalm 90 to help us get context. This is a prayer song that is ascribed to Moses. If you look at the heading just before the psalm, the psalm in your Bibles, you'll see that it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. These inscriptions at the head of the Psalms were included, written in sometime after the scriptures were written, which means that we can't be sure whether or not they are accurate, but there's good reason to think they are. There's good reason to think that Moses is the author of this prayer and this song, that he at some point in his life composed this prayer, not just for his own spiritual benefit, but for our sakes as well, as a prayer and a song to be sung, to be offered by God's believing people throughout all of time. And as you stop to think about it, you begin to wonder, what was the season in Moses' life when he wrote this? Well, it seems from the content that it surely must have been a time when Human heartache and death were much on people's minds. The language of the text indicates that Moses is in a season when death and the transitoriness of life were front and center to him. If you know about Moses' life, you'll know that there was a particular time when these things would have been especially pressing into his mind. It was that season as he had just led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, and due to their disobedience, God pronounced a judgment on them that they would not get into the promised land, but instead would wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire older generation passed off, and then the next generation would enter into the promised land. And that would probably be the moment when Moses writes this letter. The people were wandering in the wilderness, and, and the people of God were facing as a day-in, day-out experience the mortality, the perishability of life. And Moses, in that moment, writes this psalm. So let's look at it together, and let's, let's begin uh, where I began in that summary I gave you just a moment ago. As our mortality quickly sets in, this is, this is the reality, and we're reminded of it these days, aren't we? The brevity of life, the transitoriness of life. It's a major theme of this psalm. Listen, listen to the words starting in verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Down to verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Notice the the imagery in this psalm that expresses how transitory life is. We are swept away as with a flash flood. We are pieces of dust that presumably can be picked up and carried away by the slightest breeze. We are like a dream that vanishes as soon as we wake up. We are like quickly withering grass. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. They are soon gone by and fly away, and our 70 or 80 years of life are as nothing. That's comforting, isn't it? What a word to us. What a word that comes to us in a moment of fear, a moment of our awareness. But it is a word that we need to hear. We need to think about how brief, how small we are in the, in the span of eternity. Next week, we'll, we'll think about some of the implications of that. But for now... It's good for us just to be aware that we are mortal. To be aware that life is short. Psalm 144 and verse 4, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. James 4 and verse 14, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Job 7 and verse 7, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Psalm 39, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. I'm a man who can testify to these things. I'm a man, as I said earlier, who fits into that uh, most vulnerable age, or at least pretty close to it. And I wonder, how in the world did that happen? How did that happen? There was a time when I was a fairly decent athlete, and I could run and play and shoot and swing and hit all day long, and I've got the pictures and the trophies to prove it. But now, I'm reduced to a steady-paced walk for a couple of miles, with pain in every region of my body, head and shoulders, back and legs, knees and toes, well, maybe not the toes, but pretty close to it. And I realize how quickly, how quickly it has all passed by. But as mortality quickly sets in, as we become aware, even if we're young, we just become aware in the moment of how, of how fragile life is and how brief life is. What should we be thinking about? What should we be considering? As mortality quickly sets in, according to this psalm, we must consider first of all and carefully the place we live. Where do you live? Look at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
This is both a statement of faith by a believer and it is a call to faith to those not yet believing. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. One of the reasons many believe Moses wrote this song is because these words are a clear echo of words of Moses in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. Listen to these words. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Listen to that verse again. This is a verse worth memorizing. In fact, I recommend this week you memorize this verse. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. There is no safer place to be. There's no safer place to live. The Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our refuge, our shelter, our safe haven, our harbor, our home. And Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations for every believer of every age throughout all of time past and present right now, including brothers and sisters in Christ right now who have the coronavirus in their body. He is their dwelling place. You, O Lord, are an unfailing refuge for all who choose to believe in you and trust in you. You, O Lord, are a place where every man, every woman, every child of every generation can run and find safety and comfort and rest. So the question, the question for us these days is, where is your dwelling place? Where, where do you live? Where do you live? Where do your thoughts and your emotions dwell? Not meaning to be trite or, or glib, but what's your heart's home address? Do we, do we live on coronavirus drive? Or do we live on God is a safe place road? Do, do we live on our world and our life are about to come crashing down lane? Or our God is in the heavens and on the throne street? Do we, do we live on fear and fret boulevard? Or on God is my dwelling place avenue? Which, which home have you chosen? What's your heart's home address? Choose a home that goes with you wherever you go. Choose a, choose a home that never fails or falls. Never, choose a home that shelters and keeps you wherever you may be in the wilderness of life. Choose to live 
in God. Choose to make the love and the power and the presence of God the place to which you run no matter what happens all around you. Move in now and never move out. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. As, as our mortality quickly sets in, we, need, we must consider carefully the place we live and the God we trust. Who is, who is this God who is our dwelling place? Well, the psalm begins with a few key indicatives. You know what indicatives are. They are statements of fact. They are statements that indicate actual, factual truth. The psalm begins with a few indicatives about God that can strengthen our trust and our hope and our confidence as we face serious viruses and other calamities or potential trials in life. These truths are about God. And that's important. The psalmist teaches us something by way of his example here. When mortality was all around him, he turned his thoughts not so much to illness or disease or death. He turned his thoughts to God. Did you know that what you know about God matters for everything as to how you're going to face the current crisis, this, the current circumstances. Uh, it matters what you think about God as to how you're going to face this virus or cancer or the death of a child or the death of a mom or the death of a spouse. This is where wisdom and comfort begin. Way back in the 1800s, when he was just a 20-year-old young preacher, Charles Spurgeon stood in his pulpit and he proclaimed these words. And this is a lengthy quote, but it's worth every moment it takes. He preached as a 20-year-old from his pulpit in England. These words. The proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we find, feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts about God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind 
than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. For the most excellent study for expanding of the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory or comforting. Oh, there is, and hear this, Oh, there is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. I know of nothing that can get us through this present crisis. I know of nothing that can bring greater comfort, greater peace, greater hope than a devout musing, contemplating, reflection, meditation, devotion toward the subject of God himself. Pretty amazing words for a 20-year-old there, huh? But he learned something in his youth that we all must learn every day of our lives. As somebody has said, what we think about God when God comes to mind is the most important thing about us. And when we think about God in the midst of a pending crisis or calamity, What we think about God will determine whether we live in faith or live in fear. And so Moses reminds us here of two or three actual, factual truths about God. Let's think about them briefly. Number one, God is an eternal person. He is an eternal person. Look at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is a person with a name. He is Lord. He is a person who is a you. Moses is speaking to him personally. And to give us a reference to show us how old this person God is, the psalmist takes us back to the beginning and in so doing reminds us of the beginner himself. Moses is wandering in the wilderness and he looks out over the distance and he sees the mighty rugged mountains that have been standing there 
tall and seemingly immovable and everlasting. But then he thought, wait, wait, before those mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you, O Lord, are God. Before the mountains were made, before the earth was birthed, God everlastingly existed. When the beginning began, God already was. I love the language, from everlasting to everlasting. Those of us who believe in Christ, that he died as our Savior and rose victorious over the grave, those of us who know that we in Christ we are saved. We will live an everlasting life. We will never die. But it's not true of us that we are from everlasting to everlasting. We're just going to be to everlasting. But God is from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning and no end. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. To God, a thousand years are but as yesterday when it's past. What is yesterday? Yesterday is nothing. And a thousand years are as yesterday. This is a being for whom time is irrelevant. It calls to mind one of God's favorite names for himself that Moses actually uses down in verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? You'll notice that the name Lord, the title Lord is all capitalized. That's what the translators do to distinguish it from other Hebrew words for Lord. This Lord, capital L-O-R-D, translates the Hebrew name Yahweh. People used to say Jehovah. Yahweh is the name God revealed himself to Moses with at the burning bush. And it means, I am. I am. You remember that Moses is the one who one day was out on the mountainside when he heard from a burning bush this voice, the voice of God. And he looked at this bush and he could see that it was burning, but the bush wasn't being consumed, the fuel for the fire was not the bush, the fire was fueling itself. And in that, God was creating a, an image of himself in a sense. He is saying, just like this bush is self-fueling, I am the self-fueling one. I am who I am. I am self Existent. I fuel my own existence. I have the power of life and being in my own person. And all life, everywhere, flows from me. The psalmist begins his psalm by reminding us that God is an eternal person. A couple of years ago, I, I wrote a little poem to help kids to, to feel the wonder of God's self-existent eternality and there are children watching here this afternoon this is for you and you you adults can eavesdrop if you want this is this is might help you see a little bit of how amazing God is he says I am the Lord of every year in need of nothing to survive 
10 million pass and I'm still here for I can keep myself alive. I simply am. Prepare your mind to hear a truth your brain can't hold. No harder riddle will you find. I've always been, but am not old. Before the mountains ever stood, before the oceans ever were, before creation old and good, from everlasting I endure. I am like no created thing, beginning, growing, aging, dead. I am the uncreated king. Take off your shoes and bow your head. If we journey back in time, take one step at a time, moving backwards throughout history, back to the 20th century, the 19th, the 18th, the 10th, and so forth, keep on going, bypass or pass by the days of Jesus to the days of the prophet, keep on walking backwards, meet up with Moses, then Abraham, all the way back to Adam all the way back to the dawn of creation, and then take one more step into the fathomless, the fathomless vastness, the beginninglessness, the endlessness of eternity, and you will find God there. He is the eternal God. And in his hands, our life rests. He is the author and the sustainer and the keeper of our lives. So that as we face this moment, as we face this crisis, as we face these circumstances, we can know that the one who has always been, who now is, and who always will be, that one holds us in his hands. And our life belongs to him. And so, Christians, there's much more in this psalm, and we'll try to get to it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we as Christians can begin here, right? We can begin here by realizing that we have an eternal dwelling place, and that underneath are the everlasting arms that we have the one who has lived forever and will live forever, who is our God, who is, he is our heart's home address. It's, he is where we dwell. So this week, comfort each other with these words. These, this week, stay in Psalm 90. Read it over and over again. Turn it into a prayer. Offer it to God. Maybe memorize Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. Maybe as a congregation we can come back together in a week or two or three, whatever it is, and together recite this. The eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. This week, check in with others in your community group. This week, Check in with your neighbors on your block. Make sure they know that if they need anything, 
if at all possible, you'd be willing to help and encourage them. Be a good neighbor in these moments. Be one who lives in hope, lives in faith, lives in confidence. Be one who lives in the eternal home that is our God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place in every generation and you will always be our dwelling place for every generation, right on into and throughout all eternity. And we make our home in you. May it be, Lord, that any whose hearts and minds and thoughts have been living on Coronavirus Boulevard, may it be that they will relocate where they live. Draw their heart and their thoughts, their spirit, into the dwelling place that you are, that they might find safety there. And we will give you thanks forever and ever and ever. Amen.